know when you watch a, a biopic of someone and you think they're fundamentally or they seem fundamentally a nice bloke a bit naive though but that's what you get from the documentary on Ronnie Lane The Passing Show it's absolutely lovely incredibly sweet and really really sad at the same time first of all there are loads and loads of people big names talking heads here you know uh, obviously people who are in the band like Kenny Jones with, uh, with a nice trust, chestnut rinse actually Kenny very nice but Pete Townsend's there as well you know and Clapton's there and then there's Ronnie talking you know few years ago now because of course he's sadly departed from us and just showing real openness a kind of willingness to tell the story and a, a, a wry laugh at things as if things have happened he was involved in them he can laugh about them now it was quite fun and it's created a really good story and anecdote and that's something that's really important too and the bon vivre feel and the sort of um, the people enjoying themselves together having a good time getting through this life with the minimum of pain although of course he had an enormous amount of physical pain later on in his life sadly but with the with the um, the minimum of emotional pain and the maximum of convivial fun was where he wanted to be you know from the early days of his story about um, uh, um, his dad and um, we see film of the, of the time and him growing up in the East End and you know talking about how his dad adored him you know uh, and his dad was such a wonderful a wonderful beautiful person you know to the, um, the story of getting people together getting uh, getting um, the small faces together, you know, talking about when Don Arden was marrying, was uh, managing them, um, and when they had their first hits, you know, um, Lane saying they couldn't really play, but it seemed to, seemed to work out all right, you know. They mention uh, Ogden's Not Gone Flake, of course they do, that's a, a real touchstone album for so many people, and they show us Stanley Unwin, Doing his little bit of shtick that he does, he managed to parlay quite a small thing into a really big career. That man, and you've got to admire that. We also talk about. Um, he also talks about wanting to be taken seriously. The band wanted to be taken seriously, and no, no um, more than um, Stevie Marriott, who of course left to form Humble Pie. But then, very quickly, they think they they they're introduced to a neighbour of theirs who happens to be Ronnie Wood, who brings another of his neighbours, who happens to be Rod Stewart. And things happened organically. They played together and Rob was just watching on on the sidelines. And they were, you know, Kenny was saying, well, people were singing and I was looking at, um, at Rod Stewart thinking, come on, surely you've got to have a go now. Listen to the way they're singing, you know. <laughs> so they, the faces are shown to be um, lads who had a great time. You know, they're saying that Ronnie and um, the two Ronnies, um, not those two Ronnies, Ronnie Wood and Ronnie Lane were the real carousers and the real drinkers here. And they all had a good time. We know that. We've seen that particularly on their on their Top of the Pops performances. But they, 
never really um, cracked the states, which is where the big money was. Um, Ronnie Lane says, we only really went as far, only really made it as far as Belgium. <laughs> you know, when they were in the the um, the small faces, but but in the faces, they managed to do that. And they, they worked three months at a time in the US. Townsend also talks about, and this is quite interesting, that the personal life of Ronnie Lane, when he introduced him to Meher Barber, and uh, Ronnie Lane and his his um, and his first wife were really interested in that. His first wife Sue were really interested in that. They were um, part of the learnings and also part of the community. And this probably uh, perhaps fueled what happened with uh, Ronnie later on in his career. But they do talk about how the faces were successful, you know, and people um, flashed the cash and bought. Uh, big um, big houses and Ronnie stayed in his £7 a week flat in Twickenham and bought a Land Rover to tow his mobile studio which was really important to him you know his, his wife Sue says that money wasn't really all that important you know but when he split up from his first wife you know and and met his 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 second wife he had more of a creative flair he used to wear three-piece suits and suddenly he had the scarves and the and the ripped jeans and the the sort of um, and the, the, the and the shirts and all of that, he you know he had he had Levi's on there you know so things were changing very quickly for him you know and and when he left the faces and the faces dissolved I mean there were there was an issue around um, supposedly Rod Stewart's um, how committed he was to the band because he was also running his solo career and all of that um, and he met Kate his second wife this is where things change and this is the majority of this documentary it's called the passing show for a reason um, and we'll talk about that in a minute but part of the convivial nature having drinks with friends the meta barber stuff perhaps that all linked to his next move which was to buy a farmhouse a very dilapidated farmhouse in Wales probably pay over the odds for it he paid in cash and it all in plastic bags and all of that and he wanted to form an acoustic band more acoustic now, it wasn't completely acoustic because that's not what the charts wanted at the time he needed to make money there was there's a real disparity here between not really being interested in money and needing to make money to do things so you know he um uh, had a, a small hit at the beginning of of slim chance and we interviewed the band about how wonderful it was to be together and to be living all together in a community you know to be living all together around the farm um, and to be moving around in, in in caravans and that sort of thing and to be taking the their music to other people in a kind of uh, old school circus with the barker getting in there you know and they also interview just for a bit of um of counterpoint which is really important the faces um, American tour manager who was also involved with Ronnie at this time and was becoming very frustrated about well the business isn't run in the way a business is usually run and the uh, the, the work of Slim Chance wasn't really seen very very much but really it's so influential and a kind of 
British folk and country and acoustically bucolic based music which links with Americana now. All of that is so important and it's so influential but very little known even now. Of course the the apotheosis of his real love of that kind of um, living hand-to-mouth and living in a community way and taking your work to people when this is this is in the early to mid 70s you know because it starts in 73 he uh, buys um, what people say is an old and not very good circus tent with um, some booths on it and and then decides to um, become a touring um, fairly theatrical performance space called the passing show he had clowns in there and you know circus acts in there and right from the beginning this was incredibly difficult for to, to, to make the money people didn't go to see them very much crowds were dwindling people were being paid less and less and yet the band and people interviewed here were, were saying well you know I loved it you know, a convoy up the motorway, uh, you know, and, and there are pictures of, of, of the convoy of about 15 vehicles all at 15 miles an hour so that people, when, when things broke down, people could, could get out and fix them, you know, and it was a hand-to-mouth existence which um, Ronnie felt very um, responsible for, of course, and it really wasn't working financially, but it was an extraordinary idea. And you know, in the early 70s, there was a lot of communitarian work. I mean, if you're looking for people, and it's a different matter to Ronnie, things like 784 Theatre Company, that would take their middle-class, London-centric views of other people's work, and then go to those communities to deliver that work. So, you know, it's all about community theatre, and actually, in a lot of ways, there was money available for the arts from the government, not now, but in those days there was, for improvisatory um, troops and, that, and, 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 you know, other kind of happening activities and that sort of thing. And this is part of that, but he wasn't drawing down any funding for this. It was all based around him and he felt really that it weighed on him very heavily, but it was an idea of what it could be. And it was, it was a wonderful time for people, but generally, we also have just in the background their American tour manager just in the back of our head saying it wasn't going that well. You know, for instance, two of the two of the clowns in the circus in the troupe were asked to go to Falkirk because they were moving up there to do some work up there to, to post the place. When they get there, there's no posters there at all. They don't seem to have done anything. No one turns up, hardly anybody. So, you know, they're always that, there's, all, that there's a really good counterbalance to, well, we had a wonderful time together and we were all together and it was a fantastic community feel. And, well, this wasn't earning any money and it wasn't doing that well and people were getting paid less every night. Eventually, um, the engine on Ronnie's bus, the one that he uses and drives, packs up and he thinks, I can't have this anymore. Also at this point, we get the first onset of his, um, his MS. And he said that, you know, I went to put a, he said, he said that, pe people said that, you know, there's a lot of drinking going on at this time and in the morning people were very hungover and it did, he said no one thought anything of it when they saw um, Ronnie's hand shaking when he was going to pick up a, a cup or a glass because people were generally very hungover in that way. 
But Ronnie said, you know, he he said, I went to put a lie down on a base and I couldn't do it. And uh, um, uh, Eric Clapton said he started to complain about his thumb. Now, you know, his mother had had some form of debilitating illness in this way, a similar kind, and maybe it did run in the family, but clearly this was something that um, they said, you know, this is the, the only time that people saw Ronnie short-tempered and not very happy and all of that, and he had to change things, and he did, but he changed them enormously in that he went to the States. So broke up from his second wife and went to the States to have a complete change. But even at this point, he started his um, his foundation, you know, and brought together, and I'll remember this, you know, brought together an enormous amount of, 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 of wonderful luminaries of the rock world at the time, you know, including Clapton and others, you know, and they, they put together music which was very successful. And he went, he read a story of someone who was an MS sufferer, who was a campaigner, and he went to Houston to see her, spoke to her, and asked her, after one meeting, would she be the person to run his foundation? People said, well, I'm, are you sure about this? He said, yeah, yeah, I really trust her. And reports are that she that, that £1 million was put into the trust and £900,000 of it went missing. And um, in Houston, they were looking to um, put him, to take him to court because they thought that he had been misusing public money and, uh, and funds in that way, and charity funds in that way. So he had a difficult time and he moved about America. He finally found a wonderful home in Austin, Texas. It was, he, set, he settled with um, another girl, with, a, with another woman, with a girlfriend there and they settled together. She understood how ill he was. And there was a, a group of, a, a, well, a thriving musical underground scene in Austin that he really, um, latched onto who knew who he was and liked him but not in a fan way they wanted to play with him and that really was the thing that just fed his uh, his love of the place and his love of music and the way that he loves to play music with people who are like-minded and all of that and it seems that he achieved some peace towards the end he uh, you know and of course it, it eventually passed but had a wonderful time at that time. He finally achieved what he wanted, a communitarian feel. It was about the music. He felt um, that he could live, but that the music meant so much. And this is a wonderful documentary, pretty warts and all, but there's no real dirt to dig up about Ronnie Lane because he seems to be a lovely, talented, passionate yet diffident individual who had a different kind of view which chimed with the late eight with the like late 60s and early to mid 70s you know and it seemed it seems as though he he was so loved and likable there only seems to be one period in his life when things weren't so great and he wasn't reacting so well and that was when he was when the illness was first grabbing hold of him it's wonderful to see work like this and he is there to tell us in his own colourful and yet modest way. He tells us amazing things in a very easy way, so they sound like the simplest thing in the world. It's beautiful to see. He left behind some extraordinary music and slim chance. There's, there's scant stuff and there's some stuff with Stevie Marriott as well, 
and only a few albums, but seek those out because they are just wonderful. And Slim Chance as well, the work there is wonderful. You know the faces, you know the small faces, but there's a lot more to Ronnie Lane than that. This is a four out of five because it's a wonderful piece of work and so warm and welcoming and really worth an hour and a half of your time. As Ronnie says, it's a short show folks, but he didn't half pack a lot into it. Ta-ta.